Benedict XVI isn't doing well. The whole Catholic world is abuzz with the news of the retired pontiff potentially being in his final days. From across the ideological and theological spectrum, Catholics are coming together to call for prayers for him. In one of the very few signs of hope I've seen in a while in the church, but it's not all sunshine and roses. Opportunists and those with no sense of self-restraint have decided to hammer Benedict to make sure everyone knows his failings or their personal grievances with him and the things he's done in his life, some going so far as to predict where he'll end up after his judgment, which is pretty sinful and beyond presumptuous. Some of this happened on Twitter, where good Catholics go to become terrible Catholics. That's what Twitter is, really. But none of that is as surprising as the lack of self-awareness displayed by some very high-profile priests in the church today. So let's get into this and start with an update about Benedict XVI's health. As of the time of this recording, it is being reported from Rome that Benedict is awake and lucid. Those are good signs. Journalist Edward Penton's sources in Rome reported to him, and he repeated the following on Twitter. Quote, The Pope, Emeritus, was able to rest well last night. He is absolutely lucid and alert. And today, although his condition remains serious, the situation at the moment is stable. Francis renews his invitation to pray for him and accompany him in these difficult hours. End quote. Perhaps the only not nauseating use of the word accompany I've seen in relation to church news lately. And yes, for once I agree with Francis. Pray for Benedict that if this is his final hour, that he persevere to the end, that he may die peacefully in the friendship and grace of God. And if it is God's will, to let him be healed. Those are what I would suggest we pray for, as those are both actually Catholic intentions. I won't speculate at this time on the implications of Benedict's passing until after he does pass away, since... I think it's ghoulish to take the opportunity for clicks to do so now. Or maybe I will do it after, you know, if he recovers. And, you know, if, frankly, shame on any content creator really doing stuff like that right now. It said, pray for his soul. Benedict's salvation is more important than anything else. Concerns for his salvation haven't stopped some people, though. And I don't mean those who want to posit theories about what comes after his passing. It actually gets really gross out there right now. Alberto Maloney, who is a Catholic scientific advisor to the EU so not typically associated with the trad movement, tweeted the following, quote, If one searches with hashtag Ratzinger for the latest news, one will find a quantity of infamy against an elderly man like Benedict XVI who is dying out, a gathering of pure troglodytes and cultured cretins who feel anti-clerical just because they know how to vomit, useful to block them in swarms, end quote. He's not wrong. If you search for either Ratzinger or Benedict, you get a whole host of nasty takes from across the ideological spectrum, although people are beginning to drown them out with positive things, and that's good. Let's this serve as a warning to of those of you who want to try to come and try out the new freer Twitter. Catholic Twitter is a cesspool. It's a sewer. And only go in if you are strong in your virtue. Twitter was full of people pointing out Benedict's role at Vatican II, and after on one side of the spectrum and on the other, the hypermodernists were relishing in his misery. And it's times like this that I have to ask out loud, can we just remember for once that if we are actually Catholics, we're supposed to pray for those who imminently face their judgment? For once, can we please remember to do that? And I'm going to go on the record and say that I plan to say the same thing when Francis's time comes. And I doubt any of you think I like him at all. And if I don't call for prayer at that time, please hold me accountable for that moral failure and all the other commentary commentators you watch too. The most egregious example of this was not on Twitter, though this is where I saw the story. 
It came from Pastor Tommy Reese of the Jesuit Church, whom I haven't actually mentioned on my channel in a long time. In fact, I don't know if I've mentioned him at all in 2022. He's sort of like a discount store version of Pastor Jimmy Martin, though not as overtly obsessed with certain sins that cry out to heaven for justice. Pastor Reese took the time while Benedict is probably dying to write an article declaring that he forgives Benedict XVI of defending some semblance of Catholic orthodoxy. Yes, because that requires forgiveness now. The mind-blowing thing about this is that the article was actually published, meaning an editor reviewed the article and thought it was a good idea to be as crass and ugly as that and will publish this for the whole world to see. Headline from religionnews.com. I forgive Pope Benedict. I hope others can too. I see Benedict as a holy but flawed individual who did the best he was capable of. Look, most traditionalists aren't big fans of Benedict or his theology. The more mindful of us realize that now is not the time for this nonsense. Pastor Reese of the Jesuit megachurch isn't a trad in the slightest and apparently isn't mindful of how ugly this kind of thing is. Case in point, from his article, quote, I first met Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger in 1994 when I was researching my book, Inside the Vatican, The Politics and Organization of the Catholic Church. I was getting ready to leave Rome, and he was one of the last and most important interviews for the book. Because of illness, he had to cancel our first appointment and then graciously rescheduled me for a time when most Vatican officials were taking their siestas. At the end of the interview, I asked for his blessing, something I only did with two other Vatican officials, because I sensed I was in the presence of a holy man. But I also knew I was in the presence of a man who, as head of the then Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, had done irreparable harm to theological discussion in the Church. There were scores of theologians who had been investigated and silenced by his congregation during the papacy of John Paul II. Articles and books had been censored. Professors had been removed from their jobs. Even more had practiced self-censorship to avoid harassment. Those targeted included liberation theologians in Latin America, moral theologians in the United States and Europe, and anyone writing about the priesthood. Some of them were my close friends. I lived with two Jesuits who spent most of their sabbatical defending themselves from attacks by Rome. These were not minor figures. One, Michael Buckley, had worked as the chief staff person for the U.S. Bishops' Committee on Doctrine. The other, David Hollenbeck, had helped the bishops write their pastoral letter on the economy. Ratzinger's problem was that he treated theologians like they were his graduate students who needed correction and guidance. As a result, my last question to the cardinal was, granted the history of this congregation and the church in relation with certain theologians, I am thinking of some who were silenced before Vatican II and then were later acknowledged, do you ever worry that you may be... Dot, dot, dot. He laughed and responded, well, every day we make an examination of conscience, if we are doing good or not. But finally, only our Lord can judge. In short, you do the best you can. End quote. In other words, Pastor Reese of the Jesuit megachurch forgives Benedict for defending the integrity of Catholicism against heretics within the church who are pushing the envelope of modernism in the 1980s and 1990s. I don't think Pastor Reese understands that this isn't the dunk on Benedict that he thinks this is, nor does it come off as a moral or pious statement. It's an admission. He was friends with what the church would have called heretics before the council. You know, back when the, the church actually used 
much more forceful means of defending the faith against the wolves and the enemies among the sheep. Pastor Reese had the gall to ask Benedict if he was worried about his own eternal destiny because he silenced heretics. Look, we should all be worried about our own eternal destiny. When you frame it like that, it looks like lunacy. It's amazing to read, but it gets better because Pastor Reese had his own troubles with Benedict later on that he recounts here. Quote, My own difficulties with Ratzinger began shortly after I became editor of America Magazine, a journal of opinion published by U.S. Jesuits. When I became editor in June 1998, I wanted to make America a journal of discussion and debate on the important issues facing the church. I knew there were limits to what we could publish. There would be no editorials in favor of married priests. Women priests are changing the church teaching on birth control. But I thought we could have discussion and debate in articles that did not necessarily represent the views of the magazine. That summer, the Vatican issued documents on the authority of bishops' conferences and on ecumenism and interreligious dialogue. I asked around to find the best canon lawyers and theologians to write about these documents and publish their articles. I did not tell them what to say. For the most part, they were polite responses that started by saying what they liked about the documents, followed by where they thought the documents failed. Over my seven years as editor, I tried to get writers who would represent different views in the church. I published every submission from a bishop, except one. When Cardinal Walter Casper submitted an article critical of Ratzinger's ecclesiology, I immediately requested and got a response for publication from him. I even invited Raymond Burke, then Archbishop of St. Louis, to explain his position on denying communion to pro-Moloch politicians. But I also published responses from prominent canon lawyer and the Catholic representative he had targeted. We also published numerous articles on the Ted McCarrick problem. Within a couple of years, Ratzinger, through the Jesuit Superior General in Rome, was signaling his unhappiness with the magazine. It became clear that in Rome's view, a Catholic journal of opinion should only express one opinion, the Vatican's. Every document and word from the Vatican should be greeted with uncritical enthusiasm. End quote. Yes, a Catholic journal should only publish Catholic orthodoxy, not heresy, not promoting directly the works of those trying to reject the morality of the faith and replace it with the morality of the world. The error here, at least one of them, is that they believe that freedom of expression is a Catholic thing. It's not. Not when we're talking about eternal truths and salvation of souls. Having authors like Cardinal Burke contribute articles defending their defense of orthodoxy was a smokescreen then, then like it is now. They didn't fool Rome at all. They saw what was going on then. It took steps not at all that different from Rome taking steps now against EWTN, except for one critical difference. Now, with EWTN, Rome is going after them because they are too Catholic for the apostates running the church these days. But Pastor Reese isn't done making a fool of himself quite yet. He obviously felt compelled to keep digging that hole he's dug for himself a bit deeper. Quote, Conservative Catholic voices in the United States were also attacking the magazine for not being obedient to the Pope. Interestingly, many of these same voices are now criticizing Francis in a tone I would never have taken with anyone in the papacy. At one point, the Vatican wanted to impose a committee of bishops as censors for the magazine. Luckily, Cardinal Avery Dulles and others came to our defense, and the idea was tabled. The final nail in the coffin was a series of articles on the James Martin parody of the nuptial sacrament, starting with one strongly opposed to it by a philosophy professor from Catholic University of America. 
In response to this article, we received an unsolicited article supporting the James Martin parody of the nuptial sacrament by a theology professor from Boston College. I knew this would be controversial, so I allowed the first author to respond to the response and thus have the last word. That was not good enough. Soon after, the word came from Ratzinger that Reese had to go. For various reasons, the message was not communicated to me until after he, meaning Ratzinger, was made Pope. I was not surprised when I heard. I had already concluded that it was time to go. Granted my history with Ratzinger, now that he was Pope, it was best for the Jesuits and the magazine that I bow out. And though I loved the job, I was tired after seven years of looking over my shoulder. Oh, how sad. True, I was angry and depressed, but it soon became clear that once I was no longer editor, no one in Rome cared what I said or wrote. I was free. I have enjoyed my post-America career as a writer for Religion News Service and a National Catholic Reporter. And the elevation of Francis lifted my depression. I am getting old, and now I want to forgive Benedict. I want to let it go. I don't think we really grow up until we are able to forgive our parents for their failures. End quote. How amazingly condescending. And he didn't feel better till Francis came in. That's amazing. But according to Pastor Reese, it's not he himself that was ever wrong for challenging the church's orthodoxy and teaching on the unnegotiables. No, the church was wrong. Ratzinger was wrong for defending the church and what the church has always taught. This is galling, to be honest, but it's not all that surprising, nor is the general tone of condescension surprising. Reese goes on to describe Benedict as a holy man, and that's fine. It's a nice way to shield yourself from scrutiny by spending a whole article crying about how mean old Ratzinger was and what a meanie head he was for stopping you from promoting heresy on your gigantic and widely read print platform. I mean, I've seen that thing in rural parishes before, but really doesn't fool anyone. People are not as dumb as the current crop of Jesuit thinkers think they are. Honestly, the Jesuits think we're all too stupid to pick up on what they're doing. Ratzinger was bad, apparently, because he was too Catholic, according to their view. And with Francis, we now have someone more to their liking. If I was Francis, I'd be pretty upset at this article. Not that I think he or his advisors have had that time to read it. I'd be upset because I wouldn't want my name associated with it. But with friends like these, who needs enemies? Now, are you surprised by the article the Jesuits wrote about Benedict? Does it surprise you in the slightest to know that they couldn't wait until he was gone before they started sliming him and condemning him with faint praise? I, for one, am not surprised. I will say that Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church has been much better about this on Twitter than Pastor Reese has. I'd show you some of his tweets, but it's not that it doesn't matter that much. Pastor Jimmy has asked for prayers for Benedict, and honestly, I appreciate that from him. He's much more sensible about these things than Reese is. And yes, I did just say something positive about Pastor Jimmy Martin, the Jesuit church, so mark this one on the calendar, I guess. I must be getting soft in my old age. What do you think about this? Does this surprise you? Does it surprise you at all? It didn't surprise me. But let me know in the comments what you thought of this, please. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As does sharing this on social media. That helps a ton as well. And I hope you have a good New Year's weekend. And remember that Sunday is the feast of the Holy of the Holy Mother of God and the feast of the circumcision on the old calendar. So please observe these things. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.